Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the differences between working out your faith through love and working out your faith through works, that there is a very serious difference between the two, and that it is impossible for a person to be able to differentiate between the two unless they already are mature in Christ Jesus. And what I mean by mature in Christ Jesus is that an individual is truly resting in the love and acceptance of God, in his forgiveness, in his mercy, in his grace. If a person is instead resting in their works of righteousness, if they are resting in their ability to repent or obey, if that's the case, then they are estranged from Christ, they have fallen from grace, they have not matured in the way that I'm describing. So if an individual has matured to the extent where they know what the love of God is, then they will be able to discern. The Lord can reveal to an individual and give them the discernment to see the difference and to see whether or not what is taking place within an individual that is revealed in the works that they are performing, they will be able to discern as to whether or not that truly is a manifestation of the love of God, or is it a manifestation of a person's flesh through religious works? But a person who lives their lives according to their flesh and religious works, that person will never be able to distinguish or discern what it means to live by the love of God and to express an individual's faith through the love that has been given to them because they have not been resting in the love that God has for them. So they know nothing. There is no way that they can truly understand. All that they can do is go around and try to get other people to be like them because that is the natural result of religion. Religion, that is a system of bondage, that is a system of law that an individual lives by, that is an individual who lives according to the knowledge of good and evil. And what I mean by that is that they live on the basis of identifying what is evil and not doing that, and identifying what is good and doing that. An individual who lives that way lives a lie, lives a total, absolute lie, lives in fantasy because they cannot obey God to the standard that he has declared, and to assume otherwise, to pretend otherwise, to try otherwise, still does not achieve what God demands. That's what I mean by religion. When an individual lives that way, they will be in a situation where they will have to try to get other people to live like them, because that is their religious obligation. That is what a person will be bound by. And when we do not respond when we do not respond to the appeal to be in bondage, when we say, no, I am not going to live that way, there's only one thing left, and that is 
to persecute us. They have to persecute us. It's necessary, you understand? It's necessary for a religious person to persecute you, to be violent against you. It's necessary because they believe that if you are sinning, God must persecute you. He must be violent against you. He must do whatever is necessary to get you to stop sinning. Apparently, he doesn't have to do that with them because they're they're still sinning. They should know that. They should understand that. They should admit that. But you, on the other hand, if you have not managed to be as holy as they think they are, then they're going to have to beat you in whatever way is necessary to get you to be obedient to the commands that they believe that an individual should live by. So this persecution is not necessarily done out of a desire to be cruel. It's not necessarily done out of anger. In most cases, I mean, I have encountered that on a couple of occasions, but in most cases, it is a persecution that is driven by a person's sincerity, a person's sincere belief that we are to live in such a way that we never, ever sin, that that is the goal of the Christian life, that that is the goal of humanity. It is to stop sinning. That is the goal. And when you fail to do that, it is their obligation to persecute you because God will do that. And so they have to do that as well. Folks, the goal of my life, the goal of my Christian life has nothing to do with trying to stop sinning. Now, I have seen a reduction of sin in my life as I have grown to know the Lord. And for that, I am very thankful. But that's a side effect. That is not the goal. That's what I mean, is that there is a big difference between a side effect or a byproduct or something else that happens as a result of something else. I'm interested in the true goal. I want to know what that is truly for me. And from what I can see, trying to get the flesh under control is not it. I don't believe. I see no evidence at all. I see no evidence that the Christian life has anything to do with trying to get the flesh under control, to trying to get us to stop sinning. I believe that the Christian life is this. It is to start trusting. It is to start knowing. It is to start resting. It is to start living with the inheritance that we have. It is to start living in the love that he has for us. It is to live in the acceptance of God. It is to live recognizing and realizing that he is not ashamed. He is not embarrassed of you. He is not. That is the goal of the Christian life. That will never be achieved by you trying to get your flesh under control. It will only be achieved by resting in his forgiveness. That is the only way. There is no other. Beginning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, again, this word, and I tried to explain this in the previous program, this word means that an individual needs to remove all of the law from their lives. And this is how it works out. The word leaven is actually the word for yeast in our modern language. That word makes a specific identification with the laws related to Passover. In the laws concerning the Passover, the day before the Passover meal was a special day. It was a day of preparation. And the way that you prepared was by removing all of the leaven, all of the yeast out of your house. And this was a big event. It was a big event to go through your entire house and remove any possibility, 
any possibility of any presence of any yeast whatsoever. And this was symbolic. It was symbolic of sin. That's what it was symbolic of. A very important symbolism. But where does sin come from? It comes from the law. That's where it comes from. Sin comes from the law. Not to say that the law is sin. There's nothing wrong with the law at all. It comes from the law in the sense that when we bring the law within ourselves, when we subject ourselves to the law, then the law has a certain effect within us in order to manifest the sin that we already have within us, the emptiness that we have. That's what I mean. And so in this context, we are to live in the reality that was foreshadowed by the Sabbath law with regards to the removal of the leaven. Again, the removal of the leaven was symbolic of sin, but it was also a foreshadowing of a reality that has now been revealed in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. And this reality has to do with the removal of not just the sin, but the law that causes the sin in addition to that. It doesn't take a lot. It only takes one. One simple law to stir up one simple sin that will show you that God has something against you. Something, anything, anything. It doesn't matter what it is. One little thing, one little something that he holds against you will be that very thing that takes you away from the love of God. Because it's that one thing that he holds against you so he doesn't really accept you in the way that you need him to. He doesn't really love you in the way that you need him to. He is ashamed. He is embarrassed. He is disgusted, perhaps. And so as a result, you will have no alternative but to turn into the world to engage in more sin. That's one thing. But you will also have no alternative but to live in the failure to live in the rejection, and to live in this condition that will take you more and more away from the love of God. And when that happens, your faith will not work itself through love. It will not happen because you are not resting in the love that he has for you. So continuing in verse 10, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you. In the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now, this is a play on words. It's a play on words in the sense that this individual, whoever this person is, this individual will go to them, or an individual may go to you, and say that you have failed, you are not obedient, and so the judgment of God will be upon you. What he says here is he says, he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, which means that this individual who claims, they claim that God is going to judge you for your sin, this is the individual who's going to be judged for his sin. Why? Because they commit the same sin. They are a violator of the law themselves, and if it's not that one, it'll be something else. They are the ones who will be judged by God. They will bear, they will bear the very judgment that they claim others will experience because they have not succeeded to live as God would demand. Now, this is how it goes. It's very simple. You can either be judged for your works, or you can be judged on the basis of His mercy and His grace. 
That's it. If a person is not willing to rest in his mercy or his grace, then what else do you expect him to do? What else do you expect from God? He will go before his God and his God will see him and see him as an individual who refused his grace and mercy. So obviously, they want to be judged for their works. Okay, let's do it. Then they will bear the judgment of God. That is how this plays out. That's what this means. Now, it could very well be that they have been saved and they are simply deceived. That's fine. And I'm sure, I'm confident that God will make a good decision concerning those matters. I don't need to preoccupy myself with trying to make those kinds of decisions or to have that kind of discernment. I don't need to make those kinds of judgments. I'm very thankful for that, and I think they should be thankful too. But continuing in verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. What does he mean by the offense of the cross? What he means is, is that the cross is offensive, but it's offensive to who? It is offensive to those who don't want forgiveness. It is offensive for those who don't want mercy. What they want is they want success. They want achievement. They want their ability to obey God. That's what they want. They don't want his grace. They don't want his mercy. They don't want his forgiveness. They want their obedience. That is the life of a person who is religious in this sense. And that is the individual who will persecute, persecute anyone who wants his forgiveness, who wants his mercy. Again, in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? You see, he's saying, if I preached circumcision, I would not be persecuted. Now, I'm sure that there would be other opportunities for him to be persecuted. There were other opportunities. But with reference to this specific situation, this situation where the persecution is coming from the people who claim to believe in Jesus, who claim to be believers, who were discipled by these apostles and elders in Jerusalem who appeared to be something, but as far as Paul was concerned, added nothing to his faith at all. These people, he's talking about these People, these individuals, these are the persecutors. These are the ones who are going around causing the persecution. There is no persecution coming from those who are resting in the love of God. There isn't any. It is coming from those who are not. In verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, this is a very unique play on words. To talk about circumcision and to talk about cutting something off, what he's saying is, is that those people who esteem to be believers, those people who say that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also believe that we are to live a life according to our repentance, our obedience, or according to part of the law or all of the law, Just a little law will destroy a person's existence, their faith, their being, their relationship with their God. Just the smallest inclusion of any law will destroy what would have been there otherwise. If you are an individual who is gradually experiencing this change and transformation that the Lord does through maturing a person as he reveals his love to them and they are able to let go of the law a little bit at a time, That's not what I'm talking about. That's an individual who's gradually going into or is gradually experiencing 
the love of God in new ways as they make these transitions. What I'm talking about is somebody who may have already let go of the law, has begun to rest in the love of God, and is now being destroyed by being turned away from it. This persecution that comes from religious individuals who may be of great reputation, who may appear to be something, they may be very appealing in the sense that we may want them to like us, we may want them to respect us, we may want to be a part of who they are and what they are doing. But don't let that ever get in your way. Don't let it ever overcome you to the extent where you will compromise the truth and you will pretend to be someone who you are not. Don't ever let somebody else's popularity or their esteemed kingdom, whatever they have, their monumental church or their reputation or how many books they've got available in the bookstores. Who who cares about these things? These things are nothing, absolutely nothing. Do not let them persecute you. Do not let them get to you. Don't let them do that. That is where the persecution comes from, and they are the people who are unclean. They are the people who need to be circumcised. They need to be cut off. They need to be taken out. They need to be disposed of. And any recognition of their existence in the future means that you have not fully removed, fully removed that which needs to be removed. So again, in verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Folks, they're not going to do that. In my experience, from what I can tell, the only hope you will have is if they look at you and think, well, you're nothing anyway, let's just forget about you. That's your only hope as far as getting them to leave you alone. You are going to have to do the circumcision. You are going to have to cut them off. You are going to have to stand for the truth. You're going to have to stand for what is real. You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to respond to that belief. And you are going to have to cut those people out of your life. There is no other way. If you don't do that, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted to the extent where you will be pushed down. You will be squashed as much as is necessary in order to ensure that you don't set anyone free through your exposure of the truth, through your exposure of those things that are not true, through your revelation of the truth, through your infection by speaking to other people about the true and living God. They will persecute you. They will have to. They will have to do something about you. Prepare yourself. If you have not experienced this yet, you will. And if you have, and you have let them squash you and put you down and put you in a corner and isolate you and to point their fingers at you and call you an example to keep other people in line, then do not dare spend another fraction of a second of your time or use your resources in order to empower them to do that to you or to other people. Get out of there. Get out of there. Who do these people think they are? To you, who do these people think they really are? I'll tell you who they are. They are nothing. You, if you believe the truth of the love and forgiveness of God, then you live on the basis of that truth and do not let anyone hinder you from obeying the truth. In verse 7, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, do not let anyone hinder you under any circumstances whatsoever. You get out of there and you never go back. 
you let it go completely. In verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What does he mean by this? He means, and this is hard to see unless you know the difference, he means that unless you rest in the liberty that you have been called to, you will under no circumstances serve anyone. Again, if you live your life according to the law, you will never serve anyone. If you live by your works and not by faith, if you live by the manifestation of repentance and obedience instead of the love and acceptance of God, then you are not serving anyone. You understand? How many people declare themselves as being individuals who serve other people or serve God, right? They have these congregational meetings and they actually call them services, like they're serving somebody. They're not serving anybody. They're making a call out to people to serve them. They don't serve people. How do they serve people? By what? By telling them lies? By lying to people? That's not service. How do they serve God? By keeping people from knowing that they're forgiven? Is that serving God? That's not serving God. That's what he says here. He's saying very clearly to me, in my opinion, in verse 13, that unless you have been called to liberty, you will not serve one another. If you are called to liberty, you have the option of serving others, but if you are not resting in the liberty that you have, you have no option. It will not happen. The only way that you will serve others is when you are served by your God. That is the only way. If you're going to serve somebody, that means you're going to give something to them, then you must have something to give them. But if you have received nothing from your God, then you have nothing to give them. Have you received forgiveness? There are a lot of people who have not. How can you tell that they haven't? If they have any, any form of law in their life at all, then they are not resting in the forgiveness of sin. They have no forgiveness. They have nothing to give to anyone. Nothing. If an individual lives by what they do or what they don't do, they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. They cannot serve anyone. If a person believes that God holds their sins against them, it is not possible for them to serve others. They have not been served by their God. They have not received anything from their God. He has offered them forgiveness, but they have refused it. Refused forgiveness by believing that he holds their sins against them still. If you believe that he still holds your sins against you, you have refused forgiveness. You have refused the forgiveness of God. You have not received the forgiveness of God. You have not been served by your God. You can serve no one because you have nothing to serve them with at all. So you must come to the point of recognizing that you have the liberty You have the freedom to choose one of two different ways of life. You actually have the freedom to choose three different ways of life. The first way that you can live is, of course, according to the indulgence of the flesh. He doesn't hold your sins against you anymore, and so you can choose to live that way. 
I don't believe that that is a reasonable conclusion to come to. In fact, it's my sincere opinion that if a person decides to use forgiveness as an excuse to indulge their flesh, to me, this is an individual who has not truly received forgiveness. They don't know God. They live in a complete denial of reality. And I would suspect that God will probably have a special place for them with the devil and his angels. But that is one option. You need to recognize that you have the option in the sense that he won't hold your sins against you anymore. You have the option to live a life of indulging your flesh. You also have the option of living a life in religion to restrain your flesh. Now, that again is not what he has called us to. And I believe that if a person turns to that, to a life of restraining the flesh, then to me they have no idea what he has called them to and that it is possible. It is possible that he might have a special place for those individuals with the devil and his angels. The third way of life that we have the opportunity to enter into now, that we would not have had the opportunity to enter into before, this third way of life is, of course, the life of resting in the love of God and going out and engaging the world with what we have in Christ Jesus. When we engage the world with what we have in Christ Jesus, it is only then that we can serve others in love. It is only then that we can serve others with the love that we have been given. There, there is no other way. There's no possibility of giving anything to anyone without first receiving it from the Lord. If you have received something partial, then maybe something partial can kind of be manifested within and through that. I understand that. But from what I can tell here, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul is being very divisive about this. He's being very specific about this. That you have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I do believe that he truly is talking about the fact that you have been called to a newness of life and you should live it. And if you don't, then it probably means that you have not entered into it. It probably means that you will not enter into it because you're still hanging on to your flesh. You're still hanging on to the law. Could be any number of things. In verse 14, he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you have to be very careful with this. Very careful. Because it's very easy to look at this and say, well, then this is the new law that we live by. But I do not believe that that is what he was intending to say. And I will explain this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.